Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense, common knowledge, or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do, but only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Before we begin, a note from our sponsor. I'm Richard Jacobs, Executive Director of the nonprofit Finding Genius Foundation and host of the Finding Genius Podcast. In late 2016, I was rear-ended at 65 miles an hour by a truck on the highway, which sent me off-road into a ditch. The impact of the collision gave me a concussion and other injuries. At the hospital, a CT scan showed that I had thyroid nodules, which turned out to be cancer. It was then, when I had a biopsy in my neck, that I realized, even if I was a millionaire, I wouldn't want a second or a third biopsy due to the pain and the invasiveness of it. And appointments at that time for thyroid experts were three to six months out. And I was worried about dying now, even if that was irrational. So because of this, I've decided to raise money to conduct a literature review on steroids, on the causes of anxiety and depression, a condition that affects well over 50 million people in the United States and hundreds of millions worldwide. Our goal is to create a codex, a guide that reveals all possible treatments for anxiety and depression for people that live with the condition or for loved ones that have it, as my wife and my son do. To find out more about our fundraiser, visit FindingGeniusFoundation.org and click on Current Initiatives. And now, to our guest. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. Uh, today, my guest is David Parker. Uh, he's an author. He's been researching things such as anxiety and depression. Uh, the book that he has is called The More You Do, The Better You Feel. And he had suffered uh, for years from these two particular conditions. So, David, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Richard. It's nice to be here. Thanks for having me as a guest. Well, tell me about your background. What What's happened in your life to cause you to be interested in anxiety and depression? Well, I, I've suffered from severe depression and anxiety ever since I was a kid. And uh, during a, uh, you know, I, I went to possibly every type of psychotherapist. I tried every kind of antidepressant. But nothing seemed uh, seemed to help me in particular. By the way, I should mention, you know, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a psychiatrist. So if a person who's listening is uh, on medication, they should definitely uh, not make any changes to their uh, to their medication without first consulting uh, their physician. But uh, that said, I went through a period of uh, intense uh, introspection or, or uh, learning about myself. Why am I so depressed? What sets me apart from other people? And I started to realize that I was a severe procrastinator and that my procrastination was making me miserable. And uh, it, just, it just dawned on me that I just kept putting off things that I needed to do, things uh, typically that were boring or frustrating or complicated or just plain old things I just didn't want to deal with. And uh, the more I looked at my procrastination problem, uh, the more frustrated I became because uh, I would write endless to-do lists in, an att- in, in attempts to motivate myself to deal with my tasks. 
And uh, the funny thing is, is that the larger my to-do list became, uh, so did my anxiety grow. Uh, because I would just say, oh, my God, there's so many things I need to deal with. I don't know what to deal with first. So my solution was always, well, I'm just going to put the TV on for five minutes to see what's on later. And of course, as you could f- probably fill in the blank, I wouldn't shut the TV until it was bedtime. And uh, the same went with surfing the Internet or overeating or taking taking a walk in my neighborhood and getting lost for a few hours and just... Uh, or taking a snooze cruise, as as I like to call them, just checking out in bed for a few hours. And, and then sometimes I would, uh, after a, a session of procrastination, I feel so awful. I just had to treat myself to a half gallon of ice cream, you know, to, to soothe myself because I'd had such a rough day. And... Uh, what, I, what, what was your what was your depression? What did it feel like? Like I've I've heard there is many different kinds. Sometimes people feel like anything is a huge effort. Sometimes they're sad. Sometimes they're angry. Like what were the different kinds or flavors of depression that you experienced? For me, it was primarily sadness, feeling hopeless, and feeling helpless. Those were the the key marks to my the key symptoms to. Uh, my depression was, you know, I, I've described it as my depression was like, you know, when you were a kid, you took your you took your dad's binoculars and put them backwards and everything looked like it was 10 miles away. Even even your fingers looked like they were miles away. That's how depression was for me. Everything was bleak, distant, unachievable. And so I felt sad, hopeless and helpless. And uh what I eventually did during this period of discovery was I came up with an idea that if I just did one task, if I wrote a to-do list, one single solitary task and did that task and completed it, forcing myself to not worry about all the other tasks that I hadn't dealt with, not to worry about what I was missing on TV, what I had to teach myself was to constantly write down one task, do it, and then put a line through it. And by putting a line through it, it was like patting myself on the shoulder and saying, there, David, you did it. You did good. And then I would follow that by writing another single task. And eventually, this became such a big habit, a productive habit in my life, after about six months of practicing this technique, I felt so good. I, my spirits were lifted. And I thought, you know, I could write a book about this. I could share my particular experiences of being a habitual procrastinator and how I overcame it. And so what I did was I came up with kind of a spiffy name for that technique. I call it the JOT method, J-O-T, which means just one task. And it also means we jot down on paper each task we're going to do. So the trick is you write down a single task, you jot it down, and then you do it. In other words, you don't call your Aunt Tilly in Toledo. You don't make lunch. You don't put on the TV. You do the task. And you have to put tasks down that are reasonable and achievable. You don't put down a task like rearrange the big closet. 
you have to break the tasks down into little parts and write each one down, do each one, not, not write down several tasks, you write down one single task and then you do it. And after you've done it, you put a line through it to say, great, I did that. And then you write your next task. And believe me, Richard, it works. Were there times where you were so depressed or so down that you couldn't even do that? Or were you always able to at least do that? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. I've never been asked that question before. Wow, that's that's a good one. In the beginning, there were days that I skipped doing what I call my jot list. And I felt like crap. And then there were days that I said, oh, I need to do that thing again. This was before it, before it had a name, before there was any, there was no intention of writing a book until about, like I said, six months later. So I was just doing it for, for myself to help myself. So yeah, there were days that I couldn't do it, but I started to learn that this is how my brain works. Somehow, writing down a single task, doing it and putting a line through it, not only does it work, it kind of makes it almost into a game. It kind of makes it into a a contest because I could look at yesterday's chat list and I could say, oh, I did 20 things, 20 individual tasks yesterday. Can I do 20 today? Could I do 21 today? And the truth is, it doesn't really matter Because if I only get five tasks done, but they're really important and difficult, time-consuming tasks, it doesn't matter that I didn't reach yesterday's number. What matters is, is that I get more done today than I used to get done in a whole month. And sadly, that's the truth. And that's why I called my book, The More You Do, The Better You Feel, How to Overcome procrastination and live a happier life. And I can tell you, I'm living a much happier life today than years ago. That's for sure. What's the strategy? If, if Let's say someone tries to implement this method, but they're, you know, they have good intentions, but even if they put one task, it's just too big. And therefore they're like, I can't even do one task. I'm a loser. Well, and it makes them even like, what, what do you recommend? Were there days where Even if you put one task, did you have to even reduce the scope of that task? Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from $10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. Absolutely. Sometimes you have to, like I said before, you don't write down a task like reorganize the, the big closet. You don't do that. Uh, I don't even put down wash the dishes. What I, in the beginning, I used to mentally, you know, you can't really hold a pen to paper while you're washing the dishes. But in my head, I would do the jot list and say, I'm going to wash a fork. 
I'm going to wash the next fork. I'm going to wash a spoon. I would get my silverware done and then start doing the plates and the cups and then clean the sink afterward. And I could transfer all of that to paper later on if I wanted to, to see how many tasks I did that day. And that makes a game out of it. And sometimes when you make a game out of drudgery, it really works. I'd also like to say that uh, for, there are some people who bought my book and had a really hard time implementing it, not because the method is bad, but they have severe procrastination. And many people, their procrastination takes the form of hoarding, you know, accumulating things that you really don't need. So I also do telephone coaching for those people who need a little extra help starting their jot method, but that doesn't really uh, usually take, uh, take very long. So I'm happy to help. What? Yeah. Why would people that procrastinate really badly turn it? Why would it turn into hoarding for them? What's that doing? That's a very good question. You know, uh, Richard, as I said before, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a mental health uh, professional. I'm, uh, I'm not a social worker or a psychologist or a psychiatrist. So I, I, all I can tell you is uh, from a layman's uh, experience, there, there definitely seems to be a certain percentage of habitual procrastinators. Turns out that they are hoarders. But uh, as to maybe, maybe hoarding, maybe one of the keynotes of hoarding is uh, dealing with the accumulated uh, things that you have. And uh, when you delay dealing with something, that's procrastination. So it could be that hoarding and procrastination naturally go hand in hand. But not everybody who buys my book is a hoarder. And my book isn't necessarily meant for hoarders themselves, but it's meant for people who uh, procrastinate, people who procrastinate and have depression, and people who procrastinate and don't suffer from depression. Some people buy the book for, for husbands, wives, boyfriends, girlfriends. I've even had a couple of people buy copies for their bosses, which is pretty amazing. So, okay, well, within the procrastination world, you're, you, know, you probably have, sounds like, more experience. So what are the different types or flavors of procrastination out there? Let's delve into that. Okay, well, you know, a lot of procrastinators hate, the, let's look at taxes here in the U.S. April 15th traditionally is tax day. How many people procrastinate on their taxes? Answer, a lot. Why? Why do people procrastinate on their taxes in particular? It's because, one, they don't like the feeling that the government's making them do something. Isn't it enough that I work for a living and I pay my taxes and now I have to deal with the paperwork? This is what frustrates people. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Also, a lot of people don't like dealing with things that are complicated or boring or that they have to find their tax receipts or calculate figures. And so they put it off, put it off. I've done that. I've in the past, I filed uh, extensions on my uh, tax returns uh, twice in my life because I just couldn't get my act together because it was uh, taxes to me were frustrating, boring, complicated. It just circled, 
circled all the items on that list. For other people, procrastination could be household chores like mopping, cleaning, even getting the laundry done, shopping for groceries. Some people run out of food. Uh, that may surprise some people, while other people listening to this podcast might be shaking their heads, nodding in agreement right now and saying, been there, done that. So I want to say, you know, there are a lot of books that have been written on the subject of overcoming procrastination. That, of that, there's no doubt. But my book is the only one that deals with how to help people who have a hard time getting started on projects. Most books out there on procrastination were written in mind for the busy executive who wants to get more done. My book is for people who have a really hard time finding their start button. Well, what have you noticed is the interplay between depression, anxiety, and procrastination? Is it just naturally that you know, the more depressed and anxious you are, the, the easier it is to procrastinate, or what's the interplay? Well, that's, that's a very good observation. You know, uh, Woody Allen uh, famously said uh, that he, he got uh, anxious over his depression, and he got depressed when he felt uh, anxiety. For me, I'm, I'm going to add a third component to that. So for, for me, I think it's depression, anxiety, and then low self-esteem lead to procrastination. It becomes a cycle. When your self-esteem goes down as a result of procrastination, you're bound to feel depressed and anxious, anxious being nervous about the tasks that you've put off. So that's a real, I'm not going to say a winning combination, but it's a real winning combination for, for low self-esteem. So it all becomes a downward cycle. It becomes it becomes worse and worse and even worse. So how do you help a person who's such a bad procrastinator? How do you get them started? And the answer is one task at a time. So even if you get one thing done today that you don't want to deal with, that's a lot better than never getting it done and feeling bad about it. What about the timing of the task? I know everyone is different, but like I remember Brian Tracy wrote a book called Eat That Frog. And he would say, like, pick the thing you, you don't want to do most and do that first in the day. But with your method, with the job method, like, does it matter when in the day you do the one thing? Well, it's funny you should mention that because Brian Tracy was kind enough to lend an endorsement on my book. Uh, I contacted his office and sent them some chapters and if it's all right, I'm just going to read his endorsement. He wrote, uh, this practical book is loaded with proven ideas to help you overcome procrastination and get more done. That was very kind of him. But uh, to answer your question, you know, Brian Tracy, like I said, you know, most procrastination books were written for the busy executive who wants to get more done. My book is written for people who have a very hard time getting started. So, these are polar opposites. People who are habitual procrastinators are not really uh, the kind of people who are going to read, uh, in my opinion, uh, Brian Tracy's uh, uh, Eat That Frog. Now, that's a really good book, by the way. I've, I read it myself, but it's, it didn't ring a bell for me as the kind of procrastinator that I am. For some people, 
That makes a lot of sense. If you have a lot of tasks to do, focus first on the one that's most pressing, most difficult, that's, that's going to consume most of your time and your, your mental and or physical energy. That makes a lot of sense because when you get that big task accomplished, you'll feel better. But there's a lot of people who have a hard time just getting the vacuuming done or preparing their taxes for their accountant or going out for groceries, like I said. You may not be that kind of person, Richard, but I can guarantee you uh, that many people are. And people have written the most amazing, beautiful reviews of my book on Amazon. They've posted things that I, I never even dreamed that people would would say. So I know that I'm I, I'm hitting my target really well, and I'm I'm quite happy. Is it you know for someone? It sounds like the one thing to do should be done as soon as they're up and about. Like I just don't. It doesn't seem like it would be helpful to say like you know what, in the evening I'm going to do the one thing for the day, but you know the rest of the day I'm just going to be my normal self. Like, well, again, does the one thing have to have to happen early in order for no, it to work right? Know, well, I can, I can hear what you're saying. And the thing is, is that, first of all, like I said, for, for the kind of person who gets really nothing done, especially on the weekends, um, if they get started at 8 o'clock at night, hooray, good. Um, the trick is to start using the JOT method. Again, J-O-T meaning just one task getting used to it, getting comfortable with it, becoming productive. A lot of people become productive and then they start cursing themselves. Like, how come I didn't do this earlier? How come I've been such a, you know, dork or something like that? And so there's, sometimes there's resistance to, uh, to forward movement. And that's a big part of procrastination. Procrastination is a very psychological thing. So to me, it doesn't matter if somebody starts reading my book and starts implementing the JOT method and they decide to do it at midnight. I, I really don't care. I think that eventually with doing the practice of doing the JOT list, doing the JOT method, uh, eventually you're going to get more and more done. So you know that song, the Broadway song, it's not where you start, it's where you finish. I think that's how it goes. That's kind of how it applies. Um, if, if someone does their first task, like, did you notice that it paves the way for you to get more done in the day? Like, once you get over that inertia of getting just the jot task done, Absolutely. are you able to then go on? Absolutely. For me, even today, when I'm doing my jot list, which I do, I have a target number. Now, this is just for me. I have to reach about 20 tasks before I start feeling like, okay, I'm building up a head of steam here. It's kind of like one of those old locomotives, you know, the ones in the old West and the, the, the movies where they slowly, the wheels slowly start turning slowly and slowly and it builds up steam and eventually the wheels start to keep going faster and faster and now the train is moving and then it's eventually picking up speed and that's how I am. Sometimes Getting those first five tasks done in the morning, really, it, it really, really is hard for me. And uh, I'm the guy who wrote the book, but this is the way my brain is. And it may sound funny, but 
I'm speaking the truth here. It's it's hard to get started, but once I get started, especially once I get 20 items done, which seems to be my my magic number, everything else starts working out really well. And I just get more and more done. On a good day, I like to get 50 5-0 tasks done a day. But that's I don't have to force myself to do it. I just try to do it. So which kinds of jots? You mentioned this already. If it's too big in scope, it's too complicated, it doesn't work. But like, what are the nuances of the jot work better? Are there like if even if you write one thing, even if it's not it doesn't have a big scope, but it's something you hate, are you still less likely to do it? Or do you write jots that are kind of easy and accessible first? Really good questions, Richard. You're a very good interviewer. You know, the thing is, sometimes, especially in the beginning, when I started doing this, I would write a task that was too large, and I had to navigate it. In other words, what I would do is I had to break it down into smaller pieces and maybe write one or two of those pieces down. Because, again, I suffer with not only depression, but severe anxiety. And so if I write too many, too many tasks down, I start going, I don't know how to deal with this. This is where my brain naturally goes. It just goes like, it goes to that lousy place and says, this is too much. I'm uncomfortable. I don't like this. I don't feel good. I don't feel like doing this. I don't feel like dealing with this. And, and then, well, I could fall off the rails. So what I have to do is if I've written a task that really is honestly too too complicated, what I have to do is I put a wavy line through the, the original task and I write down one or two smaller steps and I concentrate on that first one. I do the first one and if I have to break it down into smaller parts again, I'll do another wavy line and rewrite it and, and eventually I'll catch up with the things that I've put the lines through that I had to rewrite and I'll get the task done. But having said that, because I've been doing the jot method for many, many years now, it just it's just natural for me to break big tasks down into little components, which is something I could never do, never, never do before I came up with the job method for myself. So just work. Is it better to write it down or do some people try to shortcut and be like, oh yeah, all right, uh, I got it. I'm just gonna do this one thing and I don't wanna write it down. I'm just gonna keep it in my head. Another great question, write it down always because this is a method. This is a method. Now, what what do we mean? What do I mean by a method? What I'm saying is, is that as I said earlier, you write the task down and then you do it. You don't make a phone call. You don't put on the TV. You don't do anything but that task. And sometimes that's the hardest thing. Sometimes as a procrastinator, I would want to, I would want to detour, go do so. Okay. I wrote it down. I'll get to it later. I'm going to first, I'm going to eat some ice cream. No, I have to do something once I've written it down, it becomes a habit. I wrote it down and I do that, not something else. And then I put a line through it to, again, kind of pat myself. I'm doing that right now. I'm patting myself on the shoulder and saying, good, David, you did that. 
And now I write down another task. So we don't deviate. I'm a little hard on this particular part here. We don't deviate. We don't say, well, uh, I'm going to do a few tasks, but I'm not going to write them down. And I've had people say to me, do you mean I have to write down each and every task that I do, no matter how small it is? And I say, yes, that's how it works. But that's where the magic comes in, because then you start seeing proof that you've been productive. And you could look at that list the next day. And I tell people, don't throw it away. Don't tear it up. Don't put it in the shredder. Save it. Put it on your wall. Scotch tape it to your wall if you, if you want. And look at it and say, wow, yesterday I got 30 things done. In fact, on my jot list, I use two columns. On the left-hand side, I have business tasks. And on the right-hand side, I have personal tasks. And sometimes I get more business tasks tasks done than personal. Uh, sometimes uh, it's more personal than business. It just depends on what the needs are. But I'm telling you, this technique really, really works. And you don't have to take my word for it. You can look at the book reviews and see what people have written. I'm telling you, it really, really works. And, I, and I'm so happy that my book has helped a lot of people. Well, what did you notice if you have, let's say you have a really good week and every day for seven days you did the job method and you got a bunch done and you're happy with it. Did that stop your depression? Did it lessen it? Did it change it? Lifted my mood, definitely. Lifted my mood, lifted my spirits, lifted my self-esteem, definitely. The cleaner my, my home is, now I'm not talking about white glove clean. We don't want to go into like, you know, OCD or obsessive compulsive disorder territory. What I'm saying is, is that the neater my apartment is, the, the better I feel. Now, I happen to own two filing cabinets, and I don't know how I ever lived without filing cabinets, but that's just me. I accumulate a lot of papers, and for me, having them accessible and knowing where they are is really, really important to me. It just makes my life more functional. So these are things we, we learn along the way. I'd like to say also, Richard, procrastination isn't just a personal thing. Procrastinators at work are really not, not welcome employees. And procrastinators in the workplace, you can see them immediately. One, they're latecomers. And two, generally speaking, they're clock watchers. So if we can uh, avoid procrastination, not, not only in our personal lives, but in our business lives, I think that procrastinators are usually the first, among the first uh, to get fired when uh, the economy goes, goes into a downward cycle, which we know happens every now and then. So uh, well, unless their boss is an even worse procrastinator and doesn't get around to firing them, but that's no solution. Sometimes bosses are procrastinators and they and they just they want their employees to take care of things for them. In fact, I've read some uh, some books on overcoming procrastination have recommended hiring a secretary or a personal assistant to deal with your 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 tasks. I don't necessarily believe that. Of course, there are some people who need assistance, doctors, lawyers and such. 
but uh, I think it's better to get your own stuff done by yourself. And uh, I'm living proof that the more you do, the better you feel. It's the truth. Well, what happens to what happened to your depression? Like, how has it changed now that you're doing this? And, you know, the people you coach, like, I don't think it takes away their depression, but it probably changes it or makes it so they don't go as deep into the hole. Like, what have you observed? Yeah, definitely. I used to be in like, woe is me. And like I said, my depression would force me to take what I called snooze cruises. You know, I, I, I would lose whole weekends sleeping, avoiding, sleep, uh, avoiding on purpose, deliberately. I didn't realize at the time that it was deliberate. I would just say, oh, I fell asleep again. And, and then I'd feel so bad about my having wasted my time by, by sleeping in the daytime that uh, I would say, oh, I feel terrible. And I have to reward myself now, uh, lick my wounds by watching TV or eating ice cream or some other snack food, uh, which wasn't good for me. When I concentrate on the things that I need to take care of, yeah, the depression, you know, I have my, I have my bluesy moments, but I'm a lot better than I, than I used to be. You know, it's hard to quantify uh, depression. Again, I'm not a psychiatrist, but definitely I've heard people say that my method, the JOT method, has helped them mitigate depression. And uh, again, if somebody who's listening to this is depressed, uh, remember, I'm not a doctor and please don't go off your medication by yourself if you're on medication. But uh, you can definitely, uh, I think, I think from personal experience, there is a relationship between depression and uh, procrastination, and uh, I, I'm sticking to it. Yeah, no. Well, what are some of the come along effects? Like if, before you came up with the job method, again, um, were you were you beating yourself up mentally? Like were the voices in your head, if there were any, were they louder and more negative oh, yeah. before you started doing this? Like, what's the the difference there? Well, first of all, I used to have what I called birds' nests in my apartment. And what I mean by that was I would take the contents like receipts and things out of my wallet and just leave them in a pile every day. I'd pull out that or I'd put in some mail that I didn't want to deal with. And then I'd have this like bird's nest of, of papers. And uh, when the nest, uh, when it got too large, what did I do? Well, I did the only thing a sensible procrastinator would do. I started another a new bird's nest. And uh, my home used to be messy. I let uh, dishes pile up in the sink for days. Uh, I felt bad about myself. I would say, how come, how come my neighbor's apartments don't look like mine? How come they're able to, to deal with... The, the funny thing was, I, I used to have a day job. I was a legal secretary. And back then, if you paid me $20 an hour, I type your correspondence do your photocopying, put away things in your filing cabinet. I was the best darn legal secretary you could, you could, have, you could want. But in my own home, my own home was a mess, disorganized. I couldn't find anything that I needed. And I used to constantly talk to myself negatively, not out loud, but, but mentally I would say to myself like, oh, you idiot, what on earth is wrong with you, David? What, what, who, do, who lives this way? But that's how I was, you know, that's why I needed the JOT method 
I created it for me. I only gave it, I only gave it the name the Jot Method because it just flows in the book a lot better. But it's the same basic method that I that I originally used before I came up with the idea to write and publish a book. And uh, believe me, it really works because I I call procrastinators human ostriches. We stick our heads in the sand like you know the the African bird, the ostrich doesn't really do that. They they don't really stick their heads in the sand. But so goes the notion. So. The human ostrich is the procrastinator who, out of fear of dealing with their tasks, puts their head in the sand and says, I'm not dealing with this today. No way, no how. And I'm not like that anymore. And my life is immeasurably better. Yeah, no, that's great. What, what do you feel like has been the next step for you once you've mastered the job method? Like, where have you taken it personally, you know, to further improve yourself? Well, personally... My biggest problem is pessimism. That's my big problem right now. I don't look at things optimistically. I know that I'm a lot more prepared at dealing with tasks and dealing with life than I used to be. I wish I were less of a pessimist and more of an optimist. So I'm trying to adopt gratitude in my life, gratitude for the things I have, and optimism that tomorrow could be, can be a better day than today. But that's on my kind of, not to-do list, but my working it out list, being more optimistic, being grateful, and being less pessimistic. If someone does this, writes it down, should they review it and how often, like once a week, once a month? And if they see like, wow, I've done like, you know, 26 different jots this month, will they feel better? Will that further embolden them to keep going? Well, I, in the past, I've kept my jot method, my jot lists in a binder so that I could review them every day. I can say things like, okay, today's Friday. How many things did I get done last week? last Friday or the Friday before that. Typically now, I don't really have to do that anymore because at that time, I was kind of measuring the job method. Does it really work? Does it really make me happy? Does it consistently work? And I found, yes, it really works. It really makes me happy and it consistently works. So I tend to hold my job lists you know, I use loose leaf paper and I write each one on a new paper every day. So um, if I want to look at yesterday's list, I have it by me. If I want to look at Wednesday's list, I have that underneath it. But typically speaking, I don't really need to look at the lists. I can glance at them and say, yeah, I'm doing good. I'm doing a lot better than I used to do, but I know it works. So uh, I don't have to overanalyze it. But in the beginning, I did. And especially I used to keep track of the numbers. But eventually, I learned that some tasks take more time than others. And so I might not get 50 tasks done on a particular day, I might only get five tasks. If I've got to, if I have to uh, 
write to, uh, let's say, radio show or, or podcast hosts and say, you know, uh, if I'm sending them a copy of my book cover letter, um, that takes time. And uh, I need to allow myself the time to get things done. And one of the things I'm trying to do right now is to incorporate, you know, planned leisure time. It's okay at the end of the day to watch a little TV, to relax. So I'm trying to incorporate that. But that's just me. That's me on a, on a personal. Well, do you feel like um, doing the job method has made room in your life for other things? You know, even though you have the same amount of time in the day, but do you feel like that at all? It's made me a lot more productive. Right now, I'm starting to bend it a little bit. Bending it, meaning that it's been hard for me to, like, I don't, I don't have cable TV. I, I get TV off the air, which is harder to do because I don't get the greatest signals. Uh, but I find that um, I have a weakness for TV. And I think a lot of people are really addicted to television. And uh, I know that I can be addicted. If I have cable or satellite TV, I say, wow, you know, if I'm paying uh, $70 a month for this, you know, I want to get every penny's worth out of it. So what happens is I, I, I start watching TV and I, I just can't, I can't multitask. I can't personally watch TV and get something done. I can't do this interview and do something else at the same time. I, I can only do one thing at a time. This is me. So I, I've just learned to, to uh, watch a lot less TV and I've missed out on some. So I'm trying to like, I still don't have Netflix. I think I'm the only person on earth that doesn't have it. But, um, you know, I'm just uh, still, I'm still concentrating on me and making my, my place look nicer and my place more organized in my life. We have to remember, I'm running a small business and uh, this is a self-published book. And uh, so it's my own enterprise. So I have to devote some time every day to my business, uh, some time to my, of, of every day to cleaning and correspondence and stuff. So, you know, right now, you know, a little more leisure activities would be nice, but, you know, it's all working out. Well, very good. Uh, David, you said you offer coaching and you have your book. So I want to give resources now to people. Where can they get your book? Should it be directly from you or online? And what about coaching? How do they get in touch? Thank you for asking, Richard. I really appreciate that. If anybody would like more information on my book, first of all, my website is, please visit my website. It's davidparkerauthor.com. That's davidparkerauthor, A-U-T-H-O-R.com. And you can visit my website and learn more about the book there. Also, um, you can get my book. Uh, there are basically two ways to get my book. One is via Amazon. On Amazon, you can get the uh, paperback or you can get a Kindle, an ebook, or you can go to my website and you can order uh, the book directly from my uh, website. Anybody in the U.S. who buys it, the shipping is included. So there's no minimum. You can buy one book and shipping is free. It's uh, U.S. only. And, uh, but if you buy a copy from my website, you get it autographed. Okay. So uh, if anybody wants coaching, or if you have any questions on procrastination, if I can be of any help, please feel free to write to me. My email address is info, I-N-F-O, at davidparkerauthor.com. I'd be happy to answer any questions that anyone has. And what about... um? You might want to do a future title, like the more you buy this book, the better you feel. 
to stimulate book sales. I'm just kidding, but that'd be a good title, right? I, I get a lot of jokes. Uh, I do a lot of health shows uh, here in the New York area. And the number one thing, I mean, this was pre-COVID. I did a lot. I'm, I'm doing a show tomorrow, my first health show in, in quite some time. And uh, a lot of times I would do the same health show every year. And people would come up to me and they would say, uh, you know, uh, they would say, oh, I was going to buy your book, but I put it off. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard a person say that. And it's funny how everyone who says it thinks they were the first person who ever said it. But that's that's life. Well, actually, one, one thing I think may be helpful is do you have a like an accompanying workbook where you have it structured where people can write down the jot and maybe you can have some stimulating ideas. So people have it with them as like a little book and they can write stuff in it. And again, you have like suggestions on each page, what to do, what to avoid. And, you know, people could use it as like an active resource that they, the journal into it, they write their jots into it. You've created it. You know? Well, uh, I'll tell you, you know, Richard, that's a very good idea. I am, it's a very good suggestion. Unfortunately, on a personal note, I deal with uh, a bit of a disability. I don't really talk about it that much, but I, I deal with a disability that drains my energy. And uh, I've had so many people say, why don't you write another book? You know, and it's like, you know, you know, I say to them, like, well, why don't you get another college degree or why don't you have another kid? You know, but I say that jokingly right now. I think it's such, you know, I, I did my book. If people look at the cover, and especially if people see it in person, they'll see, I, I really put a lot of work into it. I hired a top-notch uh, artist to do the exterior of the book. I, I wanted it to be, I, I call it Barnes & Noble quality. It could stand in the window of, of any book uh, bookstore proudly, and it has. But um, if I do something, my, my uh, thrust is to do it wholeheartedly, not half-heartedly. And so I don't really think I need to do, I, I think doing the jot method, if somebody just uses three-ring loose-leaf paper uh, and, and does it religiously, does it every day, you will create your own workbook. And uh, I'm, I'm not so certain that people really need a, a workbook. But thank you for the idea. If I ever, if I ever uh, want to uh, pursue that, David, I appreciate you being so honest and coming on the podcast. And thank you. This is a great call. Thank you for making it such an intellectually stimulating experience. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.